I'm Mike Vardy. Meal planning is important because it prevents us from being a disappointed wreck when dinner time comes around and we have no clue what to make or even if we have the ingredients to make the meal. It's a time and a money saver, but most importantly, it frees up valuable brain space. Creating a meal plan prepares us for the week to come and gives us peace of mind that we're organized and can feed ourselves and our family. That's why I do it and that's why Plan to Eat helps me do it. Your subscription includes access to the Plan to Eat website and fully featured mobile apps on iOS and Android. And Plan to Eat gives you the tools to clip and organize recipes from any website, the ones your family loves and that fit your dietary preferences and needs. And you can create a meal plan around your schedule. Then what happens is the Plan to Eat software automatically creates an organized shopping list based on your plan. So sign up for your free trial at plantoeat.com slash timecrafting. That's plantoeat.com forward slash timecrafting. The coupon will be automatically applied to your account and can be used when you're ready to subscribe. It's valid for new customers only. Give Plan to Eat a try today. And this is the Productivityist Podcast. We're back with another episode of the Productivityist Podcast. I'm back. That is, I am your host, Mike Vardy, the founder of Productivityist and the host of the show. And I'm here with a guy who is another local. Uh, actually, I don't get to talk to too many local people here in Victoria, but I've talked to plenty of Canadians, and Adam Quiney is one of those. Adam, I've, I've only recently met, um, despite the fact that we travel in the same circles and we live in the same city, we had a chance to get together and have a, have a lunch and just chat, and we could have gone on for hours and hours. We, I actually wish I recorded that episode, that, that just for the podcast episode, because it was a really great conversation. And I said, let's have you on the show, because I want to talk to you about the problem with productivity. And he was chomping at the bit to do so. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, Adam is a as a coach, and uh, he's just a really smart, clever guy. And uh, you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I just know. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this conversation I have with Adam Quiney on the Productivityist podcast. So the first time I met Adam Quiney was. Uh, we had many opportunities to probably meet you, Adam, but the first time we actually met was uh, at a local pub where neither of us had a beer. That's right. <laughs> we, <laughs> we, 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 we went in and we did not, we did not drink, but uh, that's cool because we got to know each other and it was uh, a mutual friend of ours who's also been on the show, uh, David Knapp Fisher, who introduced us, and uh, I'm really happy to have you on the show here today. Myself, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So, Adam, for those of uh, my audience who don't know who you are and are looking to find out a little bit more about you, let's just do give yourself a quick little elevator pitch as to who you are. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, I, I will precursor this by saying you've been to the World Domination Summit as well. So it's not like this is an out-of-nowhere thing. There are some definite uh, alignment pieces here. But why don't you, you share with my audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um so my background is first a project manager and then a lawyer, uh, definitely a productivity nerd through those uh, careers. And now what I do is I'm an executive coach. And usually people say, what the heck does that mean? And I would say that in that work, what I do is what I believe. And what I believe is that it's possible to live a life without compromise. It's possible to make the impact that people are on this planet to make without having to divorce part of themselves from themselves. Um, and my sort of people tend to be brilliant leaders with huge hearts that have learned to just shut that heart down because that gets in the way of the impact they know they have to make. 
I don't think that needs to be the case. So what do you say to somebody, if, if someone's listening to this right now and they're like, they, they, as soon as you said that, they're like, oh, that feels like me. Like, I feel like I've kind of lost my way a little bit. Right. Uh, what, what's one of the first things you would do with somebody, even uh, without giving anybody a free coaching session here? Because I, I definitely can appreciate that. But just to, give them a, <laughs> just to give them a sense of like where to look and how to maybe get a jumping off point. Mm. The I think the first part of any kind of transformation is awareness. So what a lot of these a lot of people tend to think is, oh, I guess I just don't have a heart or I guess I'm just not someone who's passionate. We tend to feel the greatest pain around the absence of what we are. So passionate people tend to hurt the most when they're feeling apathetic. People with huge hearts tend to hurt the most when they're feeling heartless. And so what I would suggest people do is if they feel like, wow, I do feel like I've kind of disconnected my heart, just start to notice all the places in their life where they're doing that. Because the way you show up in one place tends to be the way you show up in every place. So you can start to catch yourself and take ownership of the fact that, wow, this isn't something that happened to me. This is something that I created. And if I created it, the good news is I can dismantle this. Tell me about the noble sacrifice, because, uh, you hear about sacrifice immediately and it sounds a lot of people say, Oh wow, that sounds bad. Like I have to give something us, but once up, up, but once you throw nobility in front of it, it definitely has a, a different flavor to it. Doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah. I love, so this is a distinction I created because I noticed, uh, I work with a lot of CEOs, executives, lawyers, and these people tend to, they get into their work because they want to make a difference because they care, they care a great deal. And there's a problem with caring a great deal, which is that you get disappointed, you feel heartbreak more, you, um, you really start to worry about people's feelings. And so everyone makes some kind of noble sacrifice, but we'll stick with these sort of people. What they learn is that somewhere along the way, they realize, wow, if I am going to make the dent in the universe that I can feel, I can feel it in my bones that that's what I'm here to do, I have to set aside you know, caring too much about people or letting my heart just get torn out when I see the impact or the pain or whatever. And so they make what I call as the noble sacrifice. A lot of this kind of happens bit by bit, as opposed to some point when they sit down in their boardroom and write out a contract with themselves, of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, they kind of create this life where they they give up part of what's innate to themselves. They set aside or divorce or freeze a block of ice around their heart in order to create that impact. And that's the noble sacrifice. And so what they do is they go living forward into their lives, having set that part of themselves uh, aside. And I, I speak without any sort of high horse here that I can only see this because that's very much what I had learned to do. And, you know, that definitely helped me serve people as a lawyer, being able to set aside my heart and not feel the pain of what was going on. But in terms of building a relationship, which is a big part of what I do now, it sucked. I just had no capacity to build relationship. How do you, okay. So, so it's funny, uh, you know, one of the, one of my themes for this year was about building relationships mm-hmm. and, and how, how does one go about setting aside the time to foster those either the the relationship with themselves or the relationship with others or both, because we often get stuck in this and we're going to dive deeper into this, about the, what productivity can actually do to harm mm-hmm. us, like the pursuit of a productivity versus, uh, how it can help us, but where, yeah. where, 
what 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 can you do to say, okay, you know, I realize, I'm aware that I need to build, you know, build build a better relationship with myself, a better relationship with, you know, how what I'm doing, my why, all that, and with others. How do you help people kind of say, okay, this is great, you figured this out, now do something about it beyond the beyond the noble sacrifice, right? Right. So, I mean, first of all, the caveat is, of course, everyone is unique. There's no mm-hmm. one formula, although I very much wish there was and that someone would email it to me so I could just start <laughs> applying it. <laughs> but notwithstanding that, um, I think one of the so one of the things I notice frequently, especially with people that are very efficient, which probably includes a lot of your listeners, is that there's a story about intimacy. We'll call it building relationship, a process of deepening intimacy. And there's a story about intimacy that, oh, it requires a bunch of time and I have to, you know, it, it's kind of like I need to know someone for four weeks before I can share this, whatever, whatever would be something intimate to share or whatever would be an intimate way to show up in that relationship. And sometimes that that story is beneficial. Sometimes we don't want to just bleh, vomit our truth and our authenticity onto some, someone. But for people that tend to be oriented more towards efficiency, we tend we tend to have a story that it requires more time to create intimacy than it really does. Right. And so if, if people wanted to practice that, you can do a couple of things, right? You can start to distinguish the story and see where that came from and, and how that serves you and how it gets in your way. Or you can just say, I don't need to do that. I'm ready to dive right in and just practice deepening the floor of the intimacy one level further than you currently have. So when here's a great way to do it. When you're in a conversation with someone and it feels awkward, you could say, hey, it. I feel a little bit awkward right now. Like, are you feeling that? Is that present for you as well? Now, for a lot of people, that's a pretty high gradient to bring that in. And the fear is like, well, but then it'll become even more awkward. And the crappy truth is that that's part of what comes with deepening intimacy is being able to get a little bit messier and be a little bit more awkward and, and be with those things that are a bit scary for those of us that love to, to succeed and thrive and be productive. Let's talk about the, the idea that productivity can be that hindrance, the pursuit of being more productive can, can become, um, and you, you put this when we were kind of going over what we wanted to discuss, become a crutch. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that a lot of people, they get stuck in that whole phase of, I want to get as much done as possible, as quickly as possible. And that's productive. That's, that's mm-hmm. a lot of how I qualify when people are pursuing the wrong type of productivity, which is why I like to use the term personal productivity. But mm-hmm. what, how does productivity in your mind become that crutch that keeps people from getting to the actuality of what should be next? Sure. Well, I'll just use myself as an example. Um, first, in, at the general level or the abstract, I would say that anything, every superpower has the potential to become our kryptonite. Because um, if that's the only thing we can rely on, if that's our automatic go-to in every situation, then we've actually lost our ability to choose the life that we're leading. And so when all I can ever go for is efficiency or productivity, that's going to get in the way. For me, one of the ways it would show up with was with my wife. I wanted, I was just so fixated on like moving forward, moving forward, you know, let's, let's be efficient. Um, Relationships especially are inefficient. They are not a productive endeavor. They tend to be messy and slow and complicated and 
you know, completely anathema to logic and rational thought. And so I would, I would come to her and I would want to create, you know, whatever intimacy, be it physical or verbal or emotional. And she would start to share something with me and I would want her to get to the point and I would Mm. want her to come on. Like what's, what's the thing I need to know right now? Well, all of this is the thing that she's trying to share. There's no one thing. And so my fixation, my inability to, to be something other than productive really got in my way. It, it almost, it, frankly, it almost split us apart. Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what did you do to, to fix that? Cause I mean, that's, that's a challenge. I mean, I I've come across it too, where, where you, and I think you have to take that step back. I guess it comes back to awareness in a lot of ways. But the the idea that um, why, like, why are you trying to be more productive in that particular area? Is that what it boils down to? Or is there is there is there what else can people do to kind of say if they see themselves going off the rails in that direction, being productive yeah. for productive, productive, productive sake versus being productive for a, an actual, quote, real reason? Um, what do you what, what do you what do you say to those people? Mm-hmm. Well. So what our ego does, or kind of like what our mindset does, is we create our view of the world, and then we go out and look for that, for proof of that view. So what we, what those of us that love being efficient and creating and, and all of that, we tend to look for why I need to be productive, and we look for the benefits of it. And nothing wrong with that. That's just the way psychology works. But it also has us overlook the costs, and it has us ignore or not see or even push into our blind spots the ways that it gets us stuck and sabotaged. So for people listening that might have that that feeling like, oh, I think that that might be a little bit me, mm. um, you might, uh, what I would invite those people to do is first to, to actually go out and look for what you're not currently seeing. Like look at what it's costing you. That's a great way to start to um, to sort of unravel some of the automaticity around this. And the trouble is that (laughs) our people, Mike, are going to go out and try to be very efficient and very productive in seeing the things that they don't see. Mm -hmm. So it, it, it can almost wrap back on itself. And so I think a big part of it is a willingness to let go of that, that primal need that we have that, that our people tend to have to, to move through things quicker and to be willing to slow down. And that is typically driven by fears about what would happen if we weren't getting a lot done. Fears about what it would say about us if we weren't being very efficient and being willing to kind of confront those a little bit, to look at those and let ourselves feel that fear. So you talked about ego a little bit. Mm. We, we, we had a chance to chat about the idea of the Ryan Holiday's book, The Ego is the Enemy. I don't know mm. if you, have you had a chance to read it yet or no? I have not. I'm embarrassed to say. That's okay. It's. It, I mean, I'm not going to hold you to it. Don't let that bruise your ego that I didn't. <laughs> but the idea that that we the ego plays a much bigger role in 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 things kind of behind the scenes than that than we would like to give it credit for. I think. I think it can uncheck. That's why there's that saying: check your ego at the door, right? Because mm-hmm. it, it it can go. It can it can serve to harm you more than help you. Where where do you stand on the idea of, okay, when the ego helps versus when it harms, like, is there, is, do you find that there's a a clear line there or is it kind of, you know, it's checks and balances kind of thing? 
I think, yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I mean, the nature, my experience uh, and the experience I've had working with my clients is that as soon as we think we know the ego, it's defeated us. Mm. It's incredibly dynamic and and it flows. And as soon as you think you've got some strategy that's going to solve your problems, now that strategy becomes the new trap that the ego uses. So I think on the one hand, we, we can never truly know it. And, um, on the other hand, I think that we can identify some of our patterns as a, as a way of kind of seeing how it's showing up in our lives. And we can really, we can really get clear. Like there's not a single, um, I I was working, may I share a story? Sure. Absolutely. Please do. I, I was working with, um, a client this morning and she was sort of really struggling to own some judgment she had. And, uh, what, what came forward for her was this, she really didn't want to own that. She felt like she could show up as a bit of a B at times. Mm. And the trouble is that what we can't own owns us. If we can't own some part of ourselves, it tends to slip back into our blind spots and we repress it. We can't see when we show up that way. And so it was really edgy for her to, to start to take ownership back of that. And part of what we looked at is like, hey, can you imagine situations where that would actually serve you to show up that way? Like, for example, if you were doing your old job of being a prosecutor in court, would it serve you to put that on to be able to bring that forward? And so I think ultimately it might get a little esoteric, but really a lot of this is discovering those parts of ourselves that we really don't care for and wish weren't there and finding a way to fall back in love with them so that we can integrate them back into ourselves. Wow. Yeah. And that's the thing is a lot of people, do you read a lot? You read a lot, right? I do read a lot. Yeah. What, when you're, what, what books are drawing you in lately, especially, and, and not even just to help you professionally with, with, with Evergrowth, Evergrowth coaching, but like just with, in general that you're finding that are feeding you well, because I think that's another thing that, that people don't really look at. They don't see it. You know, they don't see that reading can do that. What, what do you, what are you reading these days that kind of put you in a, in a position to kind of do things better? Mm. Uh, can you hear me, Mike? I hear it cut out on my end for a sec. Yeah, I can, I can hear you cut out for a second Perfect. too. Um, okay. so let's repeat the question I'm going to put back sure. here. So, um, so, what are you reading to kind of fill you and feed you, you know, cause, and, and maybe even further that awareness, you know, that idea of, um, because yeah, like we said, like live left to our own devices, things can for, for any of us, doesn't matter whether we coach this stuff or not. It, it, we're human. We're only human. These things can happen. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to reading, like what, what work, what authors, like, are you, are you reading a lot more like philosophy? Like, what do you find that, that helps you kind of stay grounded and centered or even keeps you from veering too far off course? Um, so I tried it to be pretty varied and to alternate between nonfiction and fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, for fiction, uh, just some of the author, one of the authors I really love is Neil Stevenson. But man, is that guy ever, uh, his books are like 900 pages and you're, it's a real commitment to take those on. Yep. <laughs> but I do love his writing. Um, in the realm of nonfiction, I really like, uh, it's been pretty varied lately. I'm a big fan of Michael Singer, who wrote The Untethered Soul, which is just a breathtaking book. 
Um, he also wrote The Surrender Experiment, I think, which is a more recent version. And uh, two books I'll share that have really been potent for me. Um, the first one is by a man named Chagyam Hrungpa, I think is how you say his name, called Shambhala. And have you ever heard of Shagyam? No, I have not. Fascinating. He was descended from a high lineage of uh, monks, Tibetan monks, very wise. You read his words and it's very impactful. You kind of have to set the book down and take a deep breath. And I was researching him and found out he died at the age of 42, complete cirrhosis of the liver. He was a massive alcoholic. And people I would write, they, they, I could read testimonials where people would say, you know, he would be so drunk, I had to carry him onto stage, and then he would deliver this crystal clear, brilliant teaching, and then I would carry him back off the stage. Wow. And I thought to myself, wow, that's just such a perfect, it's a beautiful metaphor for the way we are as humans, where we're just so brilliant and so intelligent and so wise, and both individually and collectively, we also can't seem to get out of our own way. You know, we're destroying the planet, we're electing people that don't necessarily serve our best interests. We, we do these things that sabotage ourselves. And so that was a really impactful book for me. And then I'll tell you one last one, which currently I've been reading is an author by the name of David Deida, who wrote um, The Way of the Superior Man is his most well-known book. But um, I'm currently reading one called Blue Truth. And that's really about um, our ability to open and expand and to breathe into what life is providing us. Awesome. Awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think the other reason that I like books when it comes to this stuff is it doesn't just feed us and, and give us more uh, a depth of knowledge and even breadth of knowledge, but mm-hmm. it also provides a framework with where within that lives. You know what I mean? Like I love what mm-hmm. reading a book because it's there. How it, to me, I find it very important that framework should be there to keep us on the right path. You know, mm-hmm. they don't need to be too rigid, but I think they need to be there. Uh, because it, it allows you to have some kind of boundaries there that, that you can work within. How important are boundaries to you when you're in your work, when you're dealing with clients as well as for yourself? Um, let me, that's a really great question. Um, it's so interesting because let me go high level and then I'll bring it down. Yeah, to sure. My life. sure. Unpack it a bit. Yeah. Yeah. So ultimately I think, leadership, personal leadership, but ultimately all leadership is really a reflection of personal leadership is a, a, it's a journey of learning to walk the middle path. And so many of us in life, we're kind of like looking for this metaphoric pamphlet that says, here's the right direction to steer your handlebars so you don't fall off a bike. But, and and then we're like, oh, good, turn right all the time. Great. I'll turn right. Mm -hmm. And the truth is that to ride a bike, you're in a constant state of being out of balance. You're constantly self-correcting that lack of that imbalance. And so when I first started, like when I first started my journey into life, if you like, the what I was given by my parents was like really strong boundaries, very strong boundaries, create strong boundaries. So I was very good at saying no, very, you know, which is an important aspect of leading. But that was my kryptonite too. I, I was just a no to so many things. It was a no to any relationship, a no to letting anyone have an impact in my life. And then I, I sort of met people that really coached me powerfully that, that pointed this out to me and I saw something there. So I started practicing the other direction to the point where now I had almost no boundaries and I couldn't find my own intuition. I couldn't find my own voice. Someone would say, Adam, you're doing this. And I would just take it on at face value. So 
now I'm kind of in the process of steering back a little bit in the other direction. So I think for some people, having stronger boundaries is really what's next for them. And for other people, it's like, hey, maybe you should loosen up those boundaries or look at a different metaphor for yourself other than a concrete wall, et cetera, et cetera. That's a really interesting point because I think a lot of people, I think, uh, and and I want to dive into this, into the the, the bonus episode that we're going to talk about. So the Patreon supporters are going to hear a little bit more about this because I want to talk about this idea of of the riding a bike metaphor and and, and the idea of balance because I'm a big believer in 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 harmony. Uh, balance is tricky. Harmony, I think there's there's some elements mm-hmm. there that I really like. You and I have had this discussion privately yes. before, um, and you know, obviously the big thing is is and maybe we'll we'll end on this note is what do you think about the term? And, and I'm throwing you, I'm throwing you a, a, a bit of a, a slider here. Uh, <laughs> what do you think about the term work-life integration versus the term balance? Because that's the one that's getting thrown around an awful lot here. And I think this this alludes back to the whole idea of the problem problem with productivity is that idea of work-life integration. What do you think? What problems can that pose, and or maybe even solve uh, in terms of you know people being able to deepen their relationships and become better leaders? I love the way you asked that, Mike, because I think that there's both a gift in that term and a problem. I think the problem is, it's like people go around and they say, oh, the problems that I've been declaring goals, instead, I will declare experiments, or I've been declaring experiments, and those are disempowering. So I'm going to start calling them ninja academies, or, you know, whatever. Work-life balance, you and I, as you said, have talked, it's a bit of a bankrupt concept because it implies that you can silo those two things. Mm -hmm. And as soon as you try to silo something, well, you're a human, you're a holistic being, it's just not going to work. So I love the concept of work-life integration and and even at a higher level, I think work-life harmony was the word you used, which I really loved. And I think that is probably a better image for us to live into until then we're like, okay, I've got to like the solution to my problem is work-life integration, at which point, great, that's now going to probably be the thing that's getting in people's way. Mm -hmm. So, you know, our language gives us our world. And if we, I think if we shifted away from balance to integration or to harmony, that will provide something. And uh, today's breakthrough becomes tomorrow's crutch. That's a great way to end off. That's a great way to end off. Adam, where can people find you online? Uh, currently our website's at evergrowthcoaching.com. Um, we're just in the process of redesigning and rebranding. And so they'll probably, if you just search for my name, Adam Quiney, Q-U-I-N-E-Y, I show up all over the web. Awesome. Awesome. Adam, thanks for joining me today on the show. My pleasure, Mike. And that is a wrap. Thanks to Adam for joining me this week on the show. You can learn more about him through the show notes, which are available at the blog, uh, if you go to productivities.com slash podcast, you'll be able to find all that stuff there. Of course, you can also check it out in the show notes uh, because you're going to have those in your podcast player wherever you're listening to this. And if you want to get more in-depth with Adam, he did a bonus episode of the show, which is available to Patreon supporters of the podcast only. In fact, Patreon supporters get two bonus episodes per week, other exclusive content. They get some perks which are available. You can check them out. I'll send you that page in a second. But they also get involved in a community, our Slack community that's for members only, where we can exchange ideas, app suggestions, how people might be using the Now Your Method and, and modifying this method that I teach to work for themselves. Uh, you know, And I'm involved in there. There's a lot going on in there. And you can be 
become a member for just a dollar a month to support the show and help keep the lights on, help me paying my podcast producer, John Polstra, who puts the show together each and every week, help me keep the show notes rolling strong and getting better than ever, just head over to patreon.com slash productivityist and pledge as little as a dollar a month. Now, if you can't do that and you just want to support the show anyway, give me a rating or review in iTunes or your podcast listening apparatus, platform, whatever of choice, because that helps people find the show. And I read all the reviews and the ratings so I can see what I can do to make the show better. Because that's the goal. I want to make this show better. After all, I want to make things personally productive for you. And that's what the goal of this podcast is. And I hope you got a lot out of this episode. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And until next time, I'm Mike Barty, the host of the Productivity's Podcast, reminding you to stop guessing and start going.